Welcome to the Daybreak Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Nizam, and together we'll tune into stories, lessons, and insights from everyday individuals on how they've navigated major crossroads in their lives. My goal is to inspire you with proof of what's possible and how to thrive when the tides of change come knocking, because they almost always do. Welcome back, everybody. So today we're going a slightly different path. Today, we're getting sexual, unlikely uncomfortable, and that's okay. This entire podcast is about tackling moments of discomfort in life, and sex is just another area of our lives that almost a third of people struggle with. The numbers are likely higher, but turns out a third of people suffer from sexual dysfunction. Sexual dysfunction is defined as the persistent difficulty engaging in sexual activities, and by extension, enjoying it. It may involve a physical problem that interferes with a person's ability to engage in any stage of the normal sexual response, from arousal to climax, and or a psychological issue that diminishes a person's sex drive or response to sexual stimulus. Oftentimes, multiple factors are involved. In my culture and religion, we don't talk about sex. It should never happen before marriage. And after marriage, well, good luck. You're on your own figuring it out. For some, sex is a path to a baby. And for the rest, apparently your sex life dies after 40. That's a really sad prospect given most people live well into their 70s. So our guest today, Alison Crossway, a psychotherapist and a guide to restoring aliveness, is here to dispel some myths and hopefully give you some insights on the path to sexual healing and a more fulfilling sex life irrespective of culture, religion, or age, by sharing her own rather unconventional and adventurous journey. Like I said, sex isn't something we openly talk about in my household, so while this conversation is likely to be a bit uncomfortable for me, I'm braving the path forward because, well, I'm almost 40, so there's definitely some valuable info in here for me, and likely you too. Enjoy. Hi, Allison. So great to have you on. How are you doing? Great. I'm excited to be here, Miriam. We're here to talk about sexual healing. So what's got you turned on these days? <laughs> oh, so many things. So cheesy of me, but you know, I try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've recently published an article on the MILF phenomenon, and I do enjoy younger men. So that continues <laughs> to hurts me <laughs> Basically, a long-term relationship ended about a year ago, and I took some time to find myself again and get grounded, and then I started dating, and it just so happened that the first guy I went on a date with was 31, and I'm 48, and it went really well, and I kind of thought, wait a minute, I'm past the stage, I'm not going to have my own children. I don't need necessarily a partner that I live with, maybe, maybe not. And I have great friends and great intimacy in my life. So I'm not looking for the same thing I was looking 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I started to really enjoy younger men for the energy, the different perspective, the sexual stamina. I just kind of got into it. And then a lot of other deeper things came out of that exploration that I talk about in the article. Before we get to the deeper details of your article, kudos to you for obviously attempting to go on this date with a 31-year-old. And so what did you even do to get there? 
Did you just go on Bumble and say, hey, I'm going to just expand my age range. I'm going to live vicariously today. You know, I went on intuition because I've been a therapist for almost a decade. So I've heard so many dating app stories. I've been read all the texts. I'm like, I'm not doing this. But I just had an intuition and I went on Coffee Meets Bagel, which I can't recommend to anybody. There's nothing going on on there. But for whatever reason, because I was following <laughs> intuition, I went on, posted just a few photos, broad age range. I think it was like 30 to 60 and then went back to work. I gave it 15 minutes of my time. And within the half hour, this man had appeared. And I was intimidated. I mean, he's hot and he's he's hot in a 31-year-old kind of way, which is a little different from hot. <laughs> and, um, but what I've learned about dating apps is, for me anyway, and a lot of people will say this, is if they ask you out quickly and confidently, that's a good sign. And within an hour of texting, he said, let's have drinks tomorrow. I'll come to you. So it didn't give me much chance to kind of wonder. It was either, am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? And it didn't give me much time to stress about it. I was like, oh, I got to find something to wear. I got to do this. I'm going to do this. And then it just kind of started. And I think life was really serving me that way. It was helping me jump in. In your initial exchange of messages, did either of you address the age gap or when did that happen? And what was his rationale for doing this? <laughs> right. Great question. I'm so nosy. Like these are the details oh, of a no. date you need to know. Oh, I could talk about this all day long. It is so interesting. So no, but the, the cool thing about dating apps is it's right up front. Like if you meet someone just generally, you have no idea how old they are. But dating apps, it's right there. And we didn't talk about it till we got on the date and we were on the beach having drinks. And he said, how do you feel about the age gap? And I was like, like I hadn't, I just said, fine. And part of it was I'm not looking for the father of my children. It's different when you're looking to create a life with someone you've got a plan. I had no plan. I was like, this man is attractive. I'm having a good time. I haven't been on a date in like five years. Let's just see. He said at the time, he generally likes older women, which I discovered was true and tended to be true of about half the guys I dated this summer. They just generally prefer older women. And then another half of them were like, my filters are 18 to 55 because it's hard to get a date. Basically. <laughs> we're going to come back to that point in a bit, but okay, go on. Yeah. So it just kind of worked. The fact that we knew about it going in, there were no surprises and uh, neither of us were going in expecting, which is really important. Even if we want long-term relationships, you can't go into blind dates like that expecting anything. And the fact we both didn't have expectations, it just kind of worked. So clearly there was something that was in your life. You'd just gotten out of a relationship that prompted you to do this. Prior to, to, prior to doing this, what was your dating life like? Yeah, so I had been in a long-term relationship for about 10 years, and we had tried to have a child, lost a child at birth, like a lot of difficulties. He was soulmate partner. And in my grief, I went on a medicine journey, an ayahuasca journey that really turned on my sexuality and ended up being the end of that relationship for all the right reasons, but really hard. So that was kind of the end of my more traditional way of looking at, at 
sex and dating. And then I did a lot of sexual healing work around that time and met someone who was more exploratory and we had a more sexual connection. We were together for four or five years on and off. And during that time, that's when I shed a lot of the baggage, a lot of the pain I I'd accumulated through so many miscarriages and fertility treatments and being told you're old, a lot of the conditioning of how I'd been brought up religious and you're not supposed to have sex before marriage, which I had shed, but not fully. I mean, we're always shedding these things. So that four or five years was a time of really coming out and shedding a lot. And then when that relationship ended about a year ago, that was when I was at a bit of a crossroads and I thought, is it done for me? And then a couple things happened and I realized it's not done for me and I want this. And at 48 years old, like I want this and I want it now. This isn't a five-year plan. I want an alive sexual life and I don't want necessarily a soulmate. If that happens, great, but, but maybe not great. Like I don't want to put all my eggs into this soulmate basket in order to have a sex life. I want a sex life. And I think that's doable without necessarily meeting the person. So that's, that's how I kind of came into it. I don't know if that answers like, your question. No, that doesn't. I'm going to make a little public confession. Talking about sex is a little bit weird for me. I'm a Muslim. I always grew up with the same thing as you. No sex before marriage. So a little bit weird, but love that we're talking about this. And even more, love that, or at least I think you've confirmed for me the fact that your sex life and your high, your prime is not like pre-40. Tell me that you're not an exception to the rule. No, no, no. I mean, honestly, there's a line in the article where I say, when I was in my 20s, I wanted it to be done. Like it felt like something I had to do in order to have the life with the man that I wanted to have it with. And now, like, I have yet to meet a man who can keep up with me. And that came through a lot of work. You know, I take care of my body. I take care of my emotions, all this stuff. But yeah, we get to have this for a long, long time. And women in their 80s have told me there are sex lives are great. And we need to talk about this more. This is so refreshing. But something I want to go back to is that we talked about you being a little bit different before leaving out enjoying your sex life. Would you have so openly talked about sex three or four years ago, five years ago? So long no ago? Way. No way. Okay. Yeah, I, a lot had to be shed. A okay. lot had to be shed. A lot of medicine work and also a lot of feelings of obligation to all the people in my life. Yeah, so I was going to ask, do you feel like there's a lot of judgment out there in the last week since you've come out with this article? Well, I'm losing Instagram followers steadily. So I know that I'm triggering people. And I don't usually lose. I usually gain. But nobody has come forward directly with any type of problem. And people have really received it, including many of the men I mentioned in the article have read the article. Are totally thrilled to be in it, which is really important for me that they feel safe and honored and all these things. So it's been overwhelmingly good. And I'm very aware that what I'm doing is incredibly edgy, even though at heart, I don't think there's many humans who don't want sexual satisfaction. And I don't actually think there's many humans who follow me on Instagram who believe premarital sex is wrong or extramarital sex is wrong, but I am triggering people. There's no doubt about it. Well, my parents would definitely tell you that premarital sex is wrong, but they also don't follow you on Instagram. So don't worry about that. Right. 
Um, <laughs> oh, they would die like, if they knew I was having this conversation. Um, parents aside, I do have a couple of questions still about the article and your experience. But I do want to go back to a mantra that you have. You run a podcast, and I know one of them went off to say that you believe that sex has the potential to solve all the world's problems. I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. So sex is life force energy. It's how we got here. It's the bridge between life and death. It is what keeps us alive, the breath. Like life force energy, sexual energy is what we, how we create this podcast, how we choose our clothes, like how we breathe, how we feed people we care about and ourselves. So this energy of life is sexual. And sometimes that's really hard to wrap our head around. But if you think about any time I have the desire to eat or to breathe, it's like, oh, I need to breathe. Oh, oh. Yep, I got the oxygen. Ugh. It's an orgasm. It's a wave of desire, peak satisfaction, and coming off, and then it comes up again. And the whole natural world is full of these waves, light, sound, photosynthesis, all the things. So it's the life force energy that, that saves us. And one of the examples I like to give is the difference between, say, doing your email when you're exhausted and pissed off versus doing your email when you've had the best meal and the best conversation with a friend. When you feel really juiced, things don't bother you. And you're like, oh, delete later. You have compassion for people because you're fed. And so when we feed ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, sexually, when we have that juice for life and we keep creating and enjoying and having lots of sex, which for most of us is important, then everything else is easier. And when we have that emotional flow, because sex calls that out, we have all the things we need in order to address life. And another way of saying it is, what would this world be like? If we were all well fucked. <laughs> uh, I guess a lot less repressed men who yearn for power and right? control and authority. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but us too. Women are so anxious and so insecure. But if, and whatever form sex is, as long as it's consensual and legal, like to have that experience in your body of, someone enjoying your body and you enjoying theirs, like that is good for us. It's really good for us. You know, I still, still putting this against the backdrop of my cultural and religious beliefs. It's, it's a little bit of a challenge, but it is an interesting perspective. And I don't know that we talk about this enough. People go out and live their, their lives and their sexual lives are relatively private and, um, often challenging. But what percentage of people do you think struggle with sexual intimacy and having a sex life that they enjoy? I'm going to say 95% struggle. And why do you think that is? So many, so many reasons. Because we don't talk about it. We're not taught it's important. And there are some very key skills around sex. So 
You have to have a certain level of self-esteem. The first time I did sexual healing, I thought they were going to kick me out because I was so ugly naked. Like literally thought that. So we have to have some level of comfort with our bodies. Sex also is emotional and it requires adult agreements and communication. So we need to be able to speak our needs, speak our boundaries, honor our word, have integrity, be connected to what we want and what we don't want. These are actually quite advanced skills for most people. We aren't taught these things. We're taught do this because you're supposed to do it. Not even in sex, like in work, in school, we're taught to push past the boundaries of our bodies. So then how are we supposed to all of a sudden figure out what feels good for us? So one person with their struggles, another person with their struggles coming together, that's challenging if they're strangers because they don't know anything about each other. Or if your partners, our culture is that you put together everything, money, parenting, owning a home taking care of kids, you've got your whole life at stake with this one person and you're also supposed to find it the hottest. I mean, it's too much. It's too much pressure. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. Like I'm just starting to enjoy it and really feel fulfilled in the past month. I think I'm kind of getting something about how it could be fulfilling. And I like to devote my life to this. It's not easy. Here's the fascinating part of this. Allison is an ex-finance person. She was just one of those cold, unexciting people, apparently. Uh, But tell me about your past life and how you got to this very sexy place. Yeah, it's so interesting. To look back on a life is always so interesting. So I was a trader. So I had my boring moments and I was a master's of computational finance, so a quant head. I do actually like math and computer science, but anyway, wait till you see my dating wrapped with um, a dislike deck. I got to like, traders are a little more exciting. And you know, what's really interesting about the whole thing is even though like I was in monogamous relationships and I was trying to make it in these big corporations as a woman, I was still surrounded by men all the time and surrounded by very masculine men. So, you know, That part was alive. Like I found energy in that polarity, even if I wasn't acting on it. That has always been sort of there in some form in my life. Over time, a lot of pain drew me out of trading into therapy, which wasn't juicy enough for me. Although I loved it. I'm grateful for my training. It wasn't quite juicy enough. And so now here's the new evolution. I'm always so intrigued by stories of people who've done complete 180s and adjusted their lives. You've been at a crossroads, apparently multiple. What do you believe about people who've hit a crossroads in their lives? Well, I I think people should go for it. I think that we get presented with crossroads personally and professionally. And I rarely meet somebody who doesn't know what the right thing is to do for them, but they're usually scared. And I get it. Nothing about my life has been particularly easy. Um, So I wouldn't say, oh, just do it. It's great to be working in your passion. No, it's not easy. But what I see, it's just the cost of of circling. And some people circle for a long, long, long time at these crossroads. And I think it, I just feel in my body, like, just leap, just do it and, and see, uh, because you'll get feedback. 
massive action, massive feedback kind of thing. And I think we need the feedback. And I think the circling is, is really hard on people. If, you know, if you can answer this, what was the moment when you were making your transition either from being a trader to a therapist for, or from being a therapist to somebody who works in sexual healing, taking ayahuasca, what was the moment that scared you and made you question uh, everything? Hmm. I can say that what scares me most is the financial. I, it's a really big switch to go from being a trader for 15 years, like I was earning well, to a therapist and then to self-employed in a field where people don't like to invest in themselves. <laughs> You know, I hear the the no and the money blocks all the time, and that's 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 been really, really, really challenging. And selling personal growth has, was never the plan, and that's what makes me question everything. And my clients are very happy, and I'm really good at what I do. And selling personal growth is not my thing, so that's where I have all these come to God conversations with myself and the people who support me. And that's part of this, this latest work in terms of bringing more of myself to the table and saying, like, I don't think that saying, oh, I can help you relieve your anxiety, for example, is a generative, helpful thing for those of us who work in this field to say. I think that talking about problems and solutions is one of the biggest problems out there in personal growth. Okay. And so what's your approach? And a follow-up question that is, you know, when people say money is a, a challenge and investing in themselves, it causes them pause. What's your response to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Convincing is over. <laughs> there is no convincing. There is no objection handling in my world. There is only serving a person and having a conversation about what's going on for a person and demonstrating the work that I do in various ways, clients speaking about it, talking about the tools, you know, something like the MILF article, no marketing person would ever tell anyone to do such a thing. It's not marketing. It's, it's art from my soul. But if you read that, you can see how I deal with life and how I think about life and how the work that I do informs my dating life. And if that calls someone towards working with me, that's fantastic. But I'm done with any kind of convincing of anything because I can't solve anybody's problems. What I can do is walk alongside you and hold space and offer guidance, wisdom, tools, experience, um, a resonant field for something new to happen. And if that that's all we can ever do for each other. Life doesn't offer us any kind of guarantees. And I think it's really, really important that we hold that. And I really learned that in my fertility journey. How many people said, if you do this, you'll get a baby. Like I was wearing green underwear. That's insane. Like, <laughs> that's insane. And, and I think we need to walk alongside people differently. On the, the question of financially, like leaving out the convincing part, how do you justify or what conversations do you have when it comes to financial objections? So, you know, I have a few. And one thing that I wish everybody would do is add up the cost of 
your Botox, your highlights, your personal vacations, your alcohol, like just look at the number for the month of the things that, that don't matter before you say that you can't afford. Like be real with the choices us who have cash flow are making. I think a kind of honesty is really, really helpful because somebody's doing a bathroom reno and they want a sliding scale for me. And I'm like, mm. you know, we, we've got some torque in how we value ourselves and value the helping so-called helping professions that really, you know, we wouldn't ask a lawyer or a doctor to give us a sliding scale. So there's some things there. But also when I started working for myself, I would join a coaching program or I would get someone to help me with some copywriting. Well, this never worked because I had work to do inside. And so what I've learned for myself, and I see it for others too, is even if it doesn't make the same kind of business sense we've been taught to have, it's really important to actually do the inner work first, because that's when it all becomes coherent outside. And then if I need a copywriter, I'll get a copywriter. But truthfully, I do more and more for myself, the more my business grows, because I actually know what I need to do. And there's no one else who can do that. And that doesn't mean I'm busier. And I think that, again, it comes back to this sexual life force energy, grow it, grow it, grow it. And then it is all very easy. And it's the number one determinant of our success. So I think investing in ourselves, my experience is it's the number one most important thing to do. You are a force to be reckoned with should we have ever have to have this conversation about finances and investing in yourself. However... I want to ask you, what's given you pause in your conversations? Because I know you give speeches in public and you have publications about sex and sexuality. What's given you pause when you've undertaken these public explorations around sex? And how have you overcome any hesitation or resistance? Yeah. Um, so the group of people who doesn't really like my work tends to be men my age. There are certain men who are so used to being um, in control and adored by women for a long time that they, they do struggle with a woman's voice. And that I find scary because I'm still working through some of my own internal feelings around my father and my fear of him and his judgment. And so like any good woman in the patriarchy, I want the approval of the men and I am not doing things that will necessarily get it. So that's definitely inner work that, that I do. And I definitely connect with many women on this and need to feel that supported feeling like we're doing this together. This is important work. This is how the world needs to change. Let's support each other in the triggers that we experience when men kind of challenge us. The other thing which is related is my family, who is very religious. My mother's a minister. I was not expecting that. Okay. I, I knew you were religious. I did not realize your mother was a minister, but kudos yeah. to you even more. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's challenging. I mean, even the medicine work, my mother has a drug history and addiction history. So she's very anti that. And, you know, this, it's a work in progress because I think we always want our parents to approve of us, but the world's not going to change. This, I believe the world will not change unless we are all doing things that our parents don't approve of because every generation has to change the world. 
and evolve the world. So, and it's, we're not doing it to our parents. We are adults. Like I'm not doing any of it, even though my mother is special. <laughs> Sometimes she acts like <laughs> I'm doing it to her. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> your, your story is very relatable, but I found it interesting mm. that you encountered disapproval from men. I actually thought you might say a lot of women judged you and disapproved of your, um, of your work. So I find that very fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure that women do. I've no doubt about it. They just haven't spoken out, which is what men tend to do, especially men my age. The younger men, to be clear, eat this up. They eat it up. And it's not all older men, but it's enough of them. And it's a, they surprise, like men who've done work on themselves, men who are in the medicine space. And it surprises me sometimes. But it's very hard for them to tolerate what we live with. Like the idea that as we get older, we're less appealing is something we've been told ever since we were two. And they are like, when they see that a woman is enjoying younger men, wow. I mean, that is confronting for some of them. I had a man really come at me for that. Well, like I said, you're a force to be reckoned with, so I'm not worried about you. However, <laughs> talking about the younger men lapping this up, what were your learnings coming back to your summer as a MILF? And for anyone who doesn't know what a MILF is, do tell us, Alison, what a MILF is. I forgot to elaborate on that earlier. Sure. So you can edit if I'm saying anything I'm not supposed to say, but MILF stands for mother I'd like to fuck. And it's one of the most searched porn terms out there right now. It's the desire for older women, which does center men quite a bit. Maybe you could give us a couple of numbers and then tell us what were your learnings about men through this experience? Well, I just did my dating ramp. So I went on 29 first dates. Okay. They were uh, about 25% in their 20s, another big junk in their 30s, and then one man in his 40s, one man in his 50s, and one man in his 60s. Wow. Just to keep it. So the range was 23 to 62. The mean was 33. The median and the mode were both 31. Very scientific uh, and mathematical about this. I, I applaud you. I have a slide deck. I have a slide deck. Anyway, what I learned, I learned so many things. So many things. I learned a lot of Gen Z slang. <laughs> <laughs> Slave is the one that I just learned recently. Oh my God. There's so many good ones. Uh, I like their slang. It's pretty funny. One of the things that really surprised me that I want to say is uh, people think I had all this great sex, young men, stamina. And yes, when a young man is healthy, he has great stamina. Um, but more men than not had sexual challenges at young ages, like we're sub 35, sub 30, and challenges of all kinds. And I think that that's really important. There have been articles written about men not having enough sex right now. Porn is a huge thing for young men right now. And I'm not anti-porn, but I am concerned when it interferes with their ability to connect with a real world woman, if that's what they want. And I saw that a lot. I can feel when a man flips into his porn mode, as I like to call it. And I, I and they're not having a good time. I'm not having a good time. Like it's, 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 it's unfortunate. And the pandemic, mental health issues, all the changes in gender dynamics right now, it's not easy to be a guy. 
I also, I want to mention one other thing that I don't talk about in the article, which I think is really cool, which is when I go on a date, I am expecting the guy to make a pass and I'm protecting myself beginning to end. That's how I have learned to be with men. And what I learned, especially with the guys in their 20s, they will not make a pass. I have to ask them to kiss me. They have told me over and over again that they wait until they know that a woman is comfortable. Now, of course, it's not all of them, but they said, I need you to touch my shoulder or give me a physical sign before I will make a pass at you. And I just find this to be an incredible generational change because honestly, I've spent my whole life avoiding being kissed by men. I don't want to be kissed by if I'm in any kind of situation where that could happen. There is a real change that's gone on that I think is really, really good. And yes, do they have challenges? They do. And they're doing some really great things and they're having really good conversations. Um, I, I'm impressed. Okay. And one last learning about yourself in all of this. Oh, about myself. You like sex, um, so that's good. <laughs> I do. I really, really do. I think ultimately the learning that I'm with right now is I can do relationship. I've had trouble when I've had difficult relationships and I've ended up feeling like maybe there's something wrong with me, but I have learned to communicate, to be really transparent, to look out for the other person's best interests as well as mine, and to have relationships of all kinds, like one night to serious that honor both people. Um, and that feels really, really good. Of course, I make mistakes, but I, I do see myself being a positive impact, even when I have to say, I'm not going to see you anymore, or I don't like this, or I don't want this. I still see the conversations being really positive, And that means a lot to me. What advice do you give to people struggling with sexual intimacy? Okay, so I'm a force to be reckoned with. And this, what I just I don't want people to from this. Yeah, you've said it a few times, so I'll just <laughs> own it. It's true. And you don't know like all the backstory. And what I want to say is kind of the opposite of what the energy I've been bringing today, which is tenderness, softness, slowness, and probably some time off intimacy to talk about all of the things that have happened in your life and connect. The, the phrase that I love is self-intimacy. Becoming really intimate with what we desire because we desire it and what we have feel, felt and do feel and the things we're scared of or ashamed of or regret. Like that conversation, which can be had with a therapist, can be had with a really safe friend, can be journaled and meditated on, but just really knowing self in the time that it takes to know self. Because often we're jumping into, we've got a sex problem, so let's try to have sex. And, and I think that that's counterproductive, especially in a world where we are shamed, repressed, traumatized, objectified in all ways. Now, can you give me an example of something that you say when you, when you refer to self-intimacy? What, what might be an example? Sure. So I don't want to have sex with my partner right now. Okay. That's my truth. That, I, that's not true for me at the moment. But, but it has been true for me. Right. And that's a hard thing 
to say because when we say that to ourselves, we feel like the relationship might be over or this or that. But the thing is, our truth is the only place we can start. And feeling free to say yes or no is the only way we're going to get ourselves back online. So it's, I don't like that. I don't want that. I'd be happy never to have sex again in my life. I hear that all the time. I've said that. I said that six or seven years ago. So um, just be being really honest with ourselves. Also about sexual trauma and sexual abuse, which is incredibly common. I want to say ubiquitous at some level. So just really being able to say like, this happened, this didn't feel okay for me. It, you know, this was hard, this hurt, these types of things, really, really important. Okay. One last question. Okay. So you've clearly been exploring a ton over the last couple of years. What's next on your agenda and how do you anticipate tackling it? Yeah, great question. Right now, what I'm with is non-monogamy, which I always thought, I, I kind of, judged non-monogamy, to be honest, in the sense that there's kind of like an identity politics around it. And I don't enjoy anytime someone says I'm this or I'm that I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted, because then it's just black and white all over again. But what I'm learning in my current relationships is that when we really want people to be happy, when we really love the people that we're with, and our nervous systems feel safe, that ownership overall isn't isn't necessarily supportive and i'm seeing the potential for a lot of love and a lot of intimacy that i've never had before so i'm exploring this and thinking about it and feeling into it for myself and then you can be sure i'll be writing about it i will be tagging you on instagram so i'll have all of your information and links to your websites right. this has been an incredibly insightful an entertaining conversation. And I thank you for your openness, your transparency, and your bravery. And um, I can't wait to follow on and see kind of what your discoveries and what your writings are. So stay in touch. It's been amazing, Miriam. Thank you so much. Well, I'm relieved. 40s and where sex goes to die. Got a big smile on my face here. I bet you weren't expecting to hear about a summer as a MILF experience either. Alice truly is brave to embrace the unconventional and then write and talk about it so publicly. I'm not sure I could, and I'm certain her path is in my path, but that's not the point. The point is one, she's done significant work to heal the parts of her she felt weren't serving her well. Two, she was willing to put herself out there and experiment and explore. And three, she has some incredible learnings about what she has to offer and her ability to succeed in a relationship. Often, we don't put ourselves in uncomfortable situations so we can learn more about who we are and what we're capable of. Instead, a lot of us had a roadblock in our lives, struggling to navigate dating and relationships, and either we give up altogether or possibly settle for sacrificing sexual satisfaction to achieve a relationship. I, nor Allison, covered all the possibilities, nor do we have all the answers. Our conversation just showed one possible approach. There are many more out there that speak to the person you are deep down inside. So I hope you stay open to doing the work, the inner healing, and the outer exploration to find the contentment you seek in dating, relationships, and of course, 
sex. And now that you've taken a break, let's go explore. Until next time, live strong and embrace the daybreak.